0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Christina Bosch, one of the hosts on this channel. Today, we'll be talking to Stanley Litau and Tina Kelly about their new book, Breaking Barriers, How P-TECH Schools Create a Pathway from High School to College to Career. A short synopsis off the back of the book reads, Breaking Barriers tells the story of an effective school model that combines public high schools and community colleges in partnership with employers to provide both opportunity and support for all students, a model now operating in 220 schools across 12 states and 14 countries. As you'll hear in the interview, that number has actually been updated, Um, but uh, Stanley and Tina, for now, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. Um, So tell us a bit about yourselves, also how y'all maybe got together to work collaboratively on this book, and um, in the world of, you know, remote digital interviews, tell us where you're coming from, too.
0: Well, I'll begin, I'll kick off, and then I'll turn it over to my uh, colleague, Tina, but I started off uh, in government in the mayor's office, having responsibility for all the internship programs in the city of New York, which became a model for about 100 cities around the U.S. And then I started a think tank and uh, uh, organizing operation called Interface, working with uh, many of the education and civic organizations to help the city uh, get out of the city's fiscal crisis. And then I moved on to become deputy chancellor of schools in New York City, uh, the largest school system in the United States, and then went on to be president of the IBM Foundation and head of corporate affairs and corporate citizenship for the company. And among the reforms we championed there after running uh, three national education summits for the president of the United States, the nation's education and government leaders and, and CEOs, was this model of p The idea that you could create a way of uh, melding both high school and college in an integrated fashion where students, large numbers of them who are low income, would graduate not just with a high school diploma, but a community college degree and a clear pathway into career. And uh, uh, Tina is somebody who worked with me at Interface and the Educational Priorities Panel, and then went on to uh, a career in communications, and we got together to write this book together. So I'll turn it over to you, Tina.
1: Great, thanks. Yes, I worked at Interface in the Educational Priorities Panel, and then I worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Seattle Times, the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, and then for 10 years at the New York Times in the Metro Desk. And after that, I wrote a book on homeless young people with Kevin Ryan, who's the head of Covenant House. That's the largest um, shelter system in the United States for vulnerable and at-risk youth um, experiencing homelessness and then um, Stan and I were t- talking about P-TECH and I said that sounds like a great book idea and we got together and worked on that um, and here we are. Fantastic, thank you for that
2: background. So we'll get right into the book then um, and and you know we have two ways of sort of doing this next part. We might go chapter by chapter but I would like to sort of begin a bit more conceptually and unpack some of the definitions and the potentials or promises of PTEC. Okay. So um, you've both already given sort of a really great synopsis too of, of, of or context perhaps for understanding it. But um, PTEC stands for Pathways in Technology Early College High School, right? And you write that this six-year secondary education model quote, works toward a fairer school, you also at the end say that uh, it's more of a movement than a model. So there's a lot to unpack here, of course, but maybe um, let's start there with some of the meanings encapsulated in P-TECH and the promises or the potential, what problem it's solving.
0: Yeah, well, first off, um, high school diploma Uh, does not necessarily equate to college readiness or a college degree. And when we look at the numbers, especially for low income students and young people of color, they graduate larger numbers with a high school diploma. They may register in a community college or a four-year institution, but a very large percentage don't complete because they are not college ready with a high school diploma. So the concept behind PTEC really was to alter that, to make sure that high school really equated directly to college readiness so that every student would participate in a scope and sequence of courses that would actually connect their high school to their college. And students would actually have the ability through a dual enrollment model to begin taking their college courses as early as the summer between grade nine and 10. And because they were offered the opportunity to directly connect high school to community college to significantly increase their completion rates so that young people of color and low income people coming into P-TECH student schools have college completion rates that are 400% higher than the national average. The second critical component is that an education is not necessarily a ticket to a career. So by having employers engaged at the outset, you can combine a strong academic program with workplace skills provided through mentoring, structured workplace visits, paid internships, integrated into the scope and sequence, so that every student who completes successfully is guaranteed that they are first in line for a position at the partnering company. So what we're seeing through PTEC is about 600 employers involved in this program across the world. And right now it's up to 28 countries. So this model has been replicated in Singapore, Japan, France, Italy, Ireland, you know Mexico Brazil all over the world uh, over 13 states in the US thinking that given the changes that are taking place in our economy where more jobs are being created that have real future that require a post secondary degree we've got to come up with a new model to be able to prepare young people especially people of color and especially low income people and that's the P-TECH movement
2: I want to pivot from that to, I guess, uh, Tina, I'm going to ask you specifically about um, the Elevating Equity chapter, because that's implicit in some of what Stanley just mentioned. Um, And I know that you had previous, in a previous conversation, uh, told me that that was actually maybe one of your favorite chapters and the one that you learned the most in. Could you maybe take us through a little bit of that um, and in, in connection with, you know, the larger problem that p solves for?
1: Sure. Well, um, so often a job will ask for a bachelor's degree um, as its baseline requirement. And that's known as degree inflation, actually, because a lot of times that bachelor's degree is not required. But requiring it knocks out a huge percentage of your applicant pool, and it does so unfairly because people who have an associate's degree can be perfectly capable of doing particular jobs. So if you broaden the hiring pool, you increase diversity in the workplace. Um, This is a free associate's degree at no cost to the young people. So um, because of the partnership among a public school, a community college and a business partner, there's a very supported pathway throughout. some of the young people we spoke to were doing terribly in middle school. They were barely passing, but because they were given this comprehensive education with lots of support and tutoring and mentoring and paid internships, they could see the carrot at the end of the tunnel of a free associate's degree and a, a job in a growth profession, which would lead to a career. The young graduates of p have pretty much been Um, you know, 90 or more percent kids of color and kids of lower socioeconomic status. And I know the hires have, at least for IBM, have all been that. Um, The upper echelons of tech companies have been very slow to diversify. And that's also a problem. There's like two or three or 4% of the executives in technology are people of color. Um, If you have a very qualified Um, pool coming in of entry-level workers that will grow over time. And um, we have graduates from P-Tech now who are hiring other people. They're in management now. They've um, been poached from one company to another. They're they're doing very well in their careers. And um, down the road, they will help increase diversity in the workplace. And what I was particularly interested in in the equity chapter was just Like on the ground, how difficult it is to be a student of color if you're at the whims of the teaching force, which is predominantly white. So if you have 80 percent of the teachers who are white and people tend to recommend you for um, gifted and talented classes or advanced placement classes or any sort of extra um, enrichment classes, If you're a Black student, you have a Black teacher, your rate of getting recommended for such things is pretty high. If you're a student who has a teacher of another color, the odds are not so good. If you have gifted programs where it's only by parent recommendation and teacher recommendation, you get a very skewed gifted class. If you test everyone for giftedness, then you have a gifted class that represents the population of your school district. So those things I hadn't realized, and in 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 hard fast figures, that if you change a little bit, you can make a much more equitable school system. And that's one of my favorite things about the P Tech model, and also how it is um, it respects the student so much. Uh, Rasheed Davis, who's the principal at the first P Tech, just demands you know calculus by twelfth grade of everyone, and that includes. English language learners, and kids in special ed classes, and kids who were failing in middle school. But he knows that they can do it. He trusts them to do it. He respects them enough to do it. And they blossom in that um, feeling of being in a greenhouse. You know, when people believe in you, then you can raise your performance to great heights.
2: That point that you just mentioned about respecting students, the need to, um, you know, conduct reforms in a way that also recognizes the uh, racial discrepancies, biases, et cetera, that have pervaded the education system for so long, brings to mind also one of the points that is well covered in the book. That's um, one of the you all write one of the non-negotiable requirements for meaningful reform that works. Stanley, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to how the book talks about a broad coalition must be involved in the planning of a successful reform and of P-TECH. Um, yeah, take us through that a little bit, thanks.
0: Okay, I, just one other point uh, yeah. on equity issue. Yeah, it's, it's perhaps the most important point and that is open admissions. Mm. When we look at education in America across 50 states, the best schools are provided as an opportunity for some students. And based upon race or zip code uh, or performance in earlier grades, young people of color are excluded from the best opportunities. And uh, that's intensified by having admission that's contingent upon grading or test performance or something that creams The population. So when I came up with the idea for PTEC, I thought it was critically important to go against, break down that barrier that opportunity only is provided to some students and make sure it is open enrollment. So when we look at the schools in a state like Texas or Colorado or New York or Rhode Island or Maryland or Louisiana, they're all open enrollment. So the opportunity is given to all students, and those at the bottom move up to the top based upon given the opportunity and also given the support. Now, when you ask the question about, you know, how do you get the key stakeholders on board, this is critically important because when we look at school reform across the United States, the most interesting reforms and the most innovative reforms have been kept From going to scale and kept from being sustainable because they have engendered opposition from key stakeholders. So, if you provide an opportunity that's new and innovative and leave principals out, or teachers out, or parents out, or civil rights organizations out, or students out, you're ultimately going to provide an opportunity for those people left out to become the opposition that will stand in the way of bringing that innovation to scale. So when we look again, over decades and decades of activity in the United States, we have so many examples of innovative and effective schools, but then they don't go to scale. And one of the reasons they don't go to scale, and this is what the book highlights, is if you don't have the key stakeholders engaged and involved, they'll become the opposition. So when design of the model p was being put together, we were thinking very clearly of what would be the barriers to taking it and keeping it in one building, as opposed to having it be in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of buildings, and eliminate the barrier in the design and having all the key stakeholders engaged. So Randy Weingarten, the head of the teachers union, writes the foreword to the book. And that says, to organized teachers around the United States, teachers stand behind this model. Ernie Logan, the head of the Principals Union, described in the book as one of its staunchest allies, the message is clear to principals across the United States that this is something that principals get behind. When it's Republican governors or Democrat governors, red states or blue states, the message when you finish the book is while many of our education reforms are objected to by key stakeholders, this is one that has everybody on board.
2: Yeah, and I, on that note, I wanna just sort of highlight, you know, the very first um, P-TECH school is in, I'm forgetting it's Brooklyn or or it is in Brooklyn, right? Um, That school was created with buy-in from the local community Right. Like in literally talking like neighbors.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh,
2: and yeah. And that's a really important yeah.
0: part. You know, it's interesting because it, it was located in Paul Robeson High School. Right. And um, uh, the city at the time, because of poor performance in the school, was closing the school down and looking to start a new school. And most people in communities objected to those things because they thought if something new and innovative was created their students wouldn't have an opportunity to participate in it. And for an entire afternoon, Rashid Davis, the principal and I met with Bedsty Restoration, the major community organization, uh, community leaders, and went through and made people understand that this was a new and innovative opportunity, but it was gonna be provided to their young people and they were gonna get this opportunity. And that's why, uh, the support for it has sustained itself over the decade.
2: And just also sort of, uh, again, along that note, just to clarify a previous point, we're saying that these are open enrollment schools, but they, they do operate with a lottery, which is also typical of charter schools, but these are not charter schools. No. Can you clarify for listeners a little bit about, I mean, I know a lot of the book goes into this, but sort of, what is a P-TECH school in the landscape of public schools, charter schools, open enrollment, private, et cetera?
0: Well, admission is different depending upon the districts and states. So New York, uh, students make 12 choices. There's an algorithm through a lottery and the students get selected uh, by that algorithm. And as uh, Tina pointed out, a large number of the students are more than two years behind in grade eight, those who get in. But it's purely a blind admission through a lottery. But some other schools are in a geography where uh, everybody goes to that one school in Newburgh, New York. There's only one high school, so everybody okay. goes into that high school. And a group of young people, you know, that uh, don't have an admission screen are admitted into the P Tech in Newburgh. Now, ironically, in that Newburgh school, uh, they accounted for two thirds of the cybersecurity graduates at the local college, uh, SUNY Orange. Uh, and uh, that demonstrates in a community where you know there aren't a lot of opportunities. Not only do they have the opportunity to get into this innovative school and get their college degree, but they got high wage jobs in cybersecurity. Uh, but in uh, some districts, like in Chicago, for example, 50% of the students come out of the neighborhood. The other 50% come on lottery citywide. In a, a place like Norwalk, Connecticut, again, a small district, virtually all of the students coming from that one community because there really is only one high school. But I think the bottom line in all the schools is open enrollment.
2: Fantastic. And I, I also want to uh, lift up that this book, you were able to write a little bit about um, the interaction between the COVID-19 pandemic, right, the setbacks that caused, and the innovative model of P-TECH sort of being better set up to handle some of that. Would either of you like to touch on that part a little bit? Because that's, you know, it's kind of amazing that you're able to get that part into print, in my opinion.
1: Well, I would, I would talk about um, New Brunswick, New Jersey, because I was going in, um, visiting there about once a month during their first year, they were very open to have a reporter come in. And as they, you know, built the plane while flying, it is how they put it. Um, once the pandemic hit, they called it using the parachute while sewing it because <laughs> everything changed and there was such um, great need to move online immediately. But because in that district, everyone had a laptop and wireless hotspots already. And because the p students were used to being online, um, used to working with mentors online, they had a little bit of prep for the kind of work they were going to be doing. And they um, made COVID part of their curriculum. They had students figuring out ways, it's an engineering school, they had students figuring out ways to engineer face masks um, from materials that were at home. Some principals have said, you know, the the P-TECH students were better connected to their schooling when it was all online than regular students were because they had those relationships with the tutors already and mentors. And they also had that carrot at the end of, if I stick with this, I get a free associate's degree. One of the most interesting, Aspects of this is that, um, you know, in the in the olden days, people had been concerned that vocational education was sort of a warehouse that um, that's where you put all the underprivileged kids, and that was one of the concerns that I think Stan and Rashid had to work with in um, Crown Heights when they were talking to the community that that usually vocational is seen as less than, but eighty percent of the graduates of PTEC, at least in Brooklyn go on to four-year college with their two first years of college already paid for. So this is not shunting them off into some suboptimal path of vocational work. This is getting them to four-year colleges as well as to careers that pay well.
2: I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I I did also want to sort of clarify the relationship between the P-TECH model and the traditional um, career you know, secondary career and technical education field programming policy that we've had in the United States. Um, So could you talk a little bit about, you know, yeah, the relationship there?
0: Sure. I mean, as as Tina said, the tradition on vocational education has been people thought it was less than, and that uh, because it was focused in on a set of vocational skills, there was diminished academic program. Many students who graduated from a vocational high school couldn't get into college uh, courses without taking remedial courses because they didn't have the credits, they weren't prepared. And uh, consequently, the largest number of people completing a vocational high school never went to college. They just went out into the workplace with a high school degree in that one narrow vocational area. And uh, p strove to break that barrier in how you were thinking about voc-ed, which was something that civil rights organizations across the United States were opposed to because it was offering this less than kind of program. So number one, in p academics was the highest priority. So the students were taking algebra, calculus, they were taking science, they were taking all of the courses that would prepare them for a meaningful college opportunity. And they were also combining workplace skills, but it wasn't a narrow set of workplace skills. It was the broader set of workplace skills. It was problem solving. It was presentation. It was writing skills. And instead of being a standalone course only in those workplace skills, The workplace skills were part and parcel of how the curriculum got taught. So I recall bringing the president of Johns Hopkins University into the P-TECH school before they launched them across the state of Maryland. And we walked into the algebra class and the students were working in teams of four and five on a project using their algebra skills to create a business plan for a new business to go in competition with Nike. And the students were writing their business plans. They were problem solving using their algebra. They were uh, passionately engaged and involved in their algebra class. And we walked out into the hallway afterwards and he said to me, I've never seen a math class like that. That was amazing. And by the way, that was the math class that President Obama visited when he visited the P-TECH school in 2013. And then got up and said, This is an opportunity that every student in America ought to have, because the workplace skills inspire and excite the students about understanding that algebra isn't just a standalone math class. It's part of how you could live your life and solve problems and be successful in the workplace. And the same is true of your writing skills. And the same is true of all the things that would be part of this program. So that's what helped a lot of the opposition to vocational education get stripped away. You know, when uh, uh, in the U.S. government, they voted to reauthorize the Perkins Act, which funds all career and technical education, what we used to call vocational education. And hundreds of organizations signed on to the reauthorization of the legislation, including civil rights organizations, labor unions, CEOs of major companies, chambers of commerce. And when we would go out to talk to legislative leaders in the Senate and the House, they said, we've never seen an education initiative where everybody is on the same page. Because it wasn't a less than program. It was a more than program.
2: So I got to ask, and I'm not sure who to direct this to, but, you know, I am in special education by training and trade. So, you know, I know that when we're talking about equity and all the students and et cetera, just got to ask, I know actually in here, you you have a great, um, I don't know if I would call it an interview, but like a special education teacher at the original P-TECH school is featured. Can you talk a little bit about you know, any, any thoughts on your special education programming within P-TECH? And, you know, again, when we talk about C- uh, CTE being historically considered a dumping ground, critiqued by the NAACP as such at one point, that also happens in special education. So any, um, any kind of light you can shine on the relationship between special education and P-TECH?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, students who have an IEP uh, have a variety of different issues that lead to that IEP. And roughly 15 to 17% of the students in P-TECH schools have IEPs. So the, the population that's coming in is similar to the normal population, the average population of students who have an IEP and have some special need. But actually a large number of those special needs students with IEPs wind up getting their college degrees and they wind up going into the workplace. And in the book, uh, Tina and I profile a couple of those students uh, so that you could see it, not just in a policy book, but through the lens of individual students. A student who had an IEP because they had a speech problem or they had some type of a learning disability. So in some instances, it's mischaracterized. But that opportunity given to all students, not just some, then the students respond to that. And as Tina said, the culture in the building is that every student will succeed, not just some, not just the kids who don't have IEPs. And then the issue is, are you providing the supports for those students? And the mentoring, critically important, I think, because you're talking about such a large number of students who are the first generation college goers. So if somebody's a middle class student or an upper class, and they have parents or, or siblings who our college attendees. It's totally different than a student who isn't. You know, uh, one student, and, and, and this story came out after the book came out, uh, a young man named Jose, he came to the uh, city of Longmont, Colorado at age nine, not speaking a word of English. And in the eighth grade, he was behind because he had a language problem. Uh, English was not his, not his language. And Jose just graduated from the P-TECH school in four years With a high school diploma and a college two-year college degree and a full scholarship to Harvard.
2: Amazing. That's a great story. So, um, I guess to sort of start, start closing and, and keep going along that, the, the, the lines of the tough questions, I feel that, um, the book deals you know sort of throughout with some of the critiques that people will make about having business involved in education. Could you maybe just give us a preview? I know you cover in a really even handed way some of the history of those reforms um but could you sort of just give give folks a preview of uh of how you respond to those critiques
0: uh, okay I'll, I'll I'll start and then I ask Tina to weigh in but um a lot of people who are resistant to having business or corporate involvement is because they don't want to turn the academic part of education over to uh, business. Uh, and and p is not about that at all. And all of them required a bachelor's degree. And I said, if we could uh, guarantee that students with an associate's degree in electromechanical engineering science would have the skills that you want, and we could embed those skills into how the classes got taught. Would you change your hiring criteria and accept students with an associate's degree? And with the leadership of the CEO of the company and strong support from all senior leadership, they agreed to do that. And now we have 600 companies. None of them are looking to change the curriculum. Uh, All of them are accepting a full, clear academic program. But the workplace skills are not narrow skills like a coding skill, for example, in technology or something different in healthcare or finance. It's all about the general workplace skills that are required in the workplace. And uh, uh, when when you see business, higher ed and K to 12 at a common table, problem solving together, you, you understand that business is not evil, they're looking for people with the skills that they want to hire. Uh, And if they can have those skills and and the uh, real core decisions about the academic program are left to the educators, it can be done in an effective way that meets everyone's needs. And then having paid internships and mentors for the students, these are supports that are important for the students and it would be very difficult for the educators to provide and much easier for the business to provide. And and they welcome that assistance.
1: And in that regard, the community colleges win a great deal as well, because they are guaranteed to have students who are prepared. No P-TECH student has had to take remedial classes and those remedial classes are so expensive to the community college, but also to the spirit of the young person taking them because then suddenly they feel like they're not college ready. Um, There's a lot of emphasis put on how P-TECH students are college ready. As soon as they pass whatever exams they need to start taking classes in the Brooklyn school, there's a giant poster of each kid that goes up in the hallways with, with college ready right underneath their names. And it's this wonderful sort of positive peer pressure um, it's important for the students to start taking classes as early as possible, um, Rishi Davis said, because because they are so influenced by peer pressure at that age. If you'd waited till senior year of high school to start taking your college classes, you'd lose a lot of kids. But if you're a freshman and you see a sophomore taking college math, then you want to do that too.
2: Great responses. Thank you both for 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 taking that on. And um, I I just really am thrilled to be able to share this innovative project with our listeners um we've taken up a ton of your time i want to just sort of start wrapping up uh, with two questions the first is what are your hopes for who reads this book right what are you hoping this book does in the world and this the last question would be and what's the next uh challenge or project or thing you're working on these days
0: well, I'll start with who should read this book. I think everyone should read this book. Uh, I would want teachers, parents, all citizens to read this story and understand p through the lens of the individual students that are profiled here, students who nobody thought would succeed and are, are succeeding, a young man who's on his way to medical school, uh, a young woman who's uh, on her way to getting a Ph.D., Uh, Students who the two-year degree was only the beginning by being put in the driver's seat, they succeeded. So I would want all of those people to read it. But especially, I would also want uh, the key influencers. You know, when President Obama embraced P-TECH, as I said, he said, every student should have this opportunity. Just recently, about a month ago, President Macron of France said virtually the same thing. The only missing word was every student in America. He said every student in France should have this opportunity. So I would want people in leadership positions, governors, mayors, all the political leaders to read it. I would want CEOs of major companies to understand that as you're making pledges about your hiring, and many companies have made pledges that they're going to hire more people of color and more low income people and more people. Uh, who, who really need this opportunity. But unless you invest in the pipeline, you're gonna be cherry picking at the top and competing with your competitors. But if you can grow a population by engaging in a P-TECH model, this is something that will grow the population into significant numbers and really, really expand your hiring of people who are don't look like you, not just white male uh, executives. And finally, I would want, you know, educators in high positions to understand that a model school isn't just something to look at and think, well, we can't do that because that's on 33rd Street and we're on 34th Street, or that's a four-story building and my schools are three stories. They should understand that this is something where the barriers to replication were broken down in the design. And it can be embraced by all.
1: I second that. I really, I really want governors to read it because they are central to the spread of the model. And I would like to see thousands of more PTEC schools, just because it's so good for the young people involved. I would. I wish I could send my children to one.
0: I think it's also directly connected to COVID. I mean, where we are right now is we have a growing crisis in United States, Uh, the percentage of low-income students and students of color enrolling in our universities is going down as a direct consequence of COVID. It was already going down because the population was smaller, but it's now going down even further. The first year of COVID, the population in public higher education uh, universities went down for that population by 30%. So that's in crisis Uh, uh, Stages, And secondly, when we look at the labor force, the jobs that are high wage and that are increasing require a post-secondary degree. Somebody going into the workforce with a post-secondary degree versus only a high school diploma, they earn 84% more over their lifetime. And as those jobs are expanding, you know, we hear all this discussion about college doesn't matter and, and all you need is a credential. Uh, people are not saying that to their own children. Mm. And this is an opportunity to get more young people, the kind of preparation, the kind of skills that they need. And COVID puts it on steroids. So a P-TECH opportunity really is more important now than when that first school opened its doors uh, 10 years ago.
1: Especially since it costs so little to each individual district.
0: That's a great point.
2: Um, so to close, do you want to share sort of any next steps, either in your personal work or for the book or p in general?
0: Well, for me, I teach at Duke uh, and I teach a course on the politics of education. So I would hope my students who would understand these issues would then go off and lead uh, over the next you know, 10, 20 years. I think that would be important. I write a monthly column for Barron's. And I would hope that people in the business community who read it would understand that this is something that they need to do. And I'm totally committed as a trustee of the State University of New York that public higher education institutions in states like New York and Texas, anywhere, really need to embrace this and advocate for it strongly. Thanks, Stanley. Tina?
1: I'm working on a project on college affordability in the public sphere and um, I'm looking forward to seeing greater spread of the P-TECH model.
2: Great. Well, hopefully we can speak with you again when the next edition comes out. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for um, taking time to share your work with an audio audience (laughs) and um, yeah, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Take care. Thank
0: you. Thank Thank you for your time. Thank you.